The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're going to pray, we're going to read, and we're going to talk about the ultimate endgame. Dun, dun, dun. No, that's too corny. Uh, Father, we're about to crack open your word, and we're about to have a, a soiree with this passage. Lord, it's, it's something that, that you write about throughout your Bible and that we, we discuss as it comes up in your word. I pray that today we would all understand the gravity of sin, the seriousness of sin, and what it means for us. That we would also understand and live in a greater perspective for our lives that we would understand the eternal perspective and not just this temporary short-time perspective of life. Lord, this is all nothing without your voice and your spirit speaking to us and changing us, so I pray that you would do just that. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, little ones is what Jesus called children, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck, and he were thrown into the sea. I've never seen that picture of Jesus in a portrait, ever. Could you imagine? When I ask you what does Jesus look like in a picture, what does he look like? What color is his skin usually? White, which he wasn't. What color is his robe? White. What color is his sash usually, a variation? Red, purple, or Mormon Jesus has a blue sash. Um, so a tough crowd, you were, you were the second service. First service was blue eyes, which is also really weird. It's basically like Aryan Jesus, which is not a pleasant thing. Um, what's in the background of a picture with Jesus? Some of the things that you've seen in pictures. A lamb. There's always a lamb. Fluffy lamb. What does Jesus' hair look like? Long. Is it tangled and knotted up with the desert dust of Samaria? It's clean, too much moose for the goose. Sometimes he has a mullet. Like, you know that that's a very small windowed Jesus, right? When it's white, blue-eyed mullet Jesus. That's what Tennessee Jesus, what you call him. You got Tennessee Jesus. You see lambs, you see kids. If there's a kid, they're always like, like, Jesus. And if there's a lamb, it's not like all matted up. It's not a lamb that just got bit by a wolf the day before. It's fluffy lamb. It's Mary's lamb. It was little curds and whey lamb. Now, imagine, imagine a card that said, love the children, don't let them sin. And Jesus was there, and I'm talking like, like Schwarzenegger Jesus, just like jacked. He's got some creatine CrossFit veins in his forehead, and he's got a rope around someone, and he's about to throw them over a boat with a big rock around their neck. That's a different picture of Jesus. This is how Jesus preached. When I preach, I'm like, you guys, God, God's got you. Jesus died for you. God's love is coming at you. It has nothing to do with you. Jesus is like, if you mess with a kid, you die in the bottom of the ocean. And not the Florida ocean, not like 100 feet deep, like the real ocean. Like 500 feet down, a rock around your neck, you're gone. That is not, I mean, maybe I should preach more like this. Maybe we get more people just like doing whatever the church says. I think that's how some churches do it. Just literally try to scare the hell out of you. But there's something about little ones. There's something very precious uh, that Jesus wants to emphasize and constantly does about children. I don't know about you guys, but I, I love kids. 
for some reason, ever since I've been normal size for me, kids look at me and they usually think jungle gym or they think monster. I'm not in the middle. Like if I go through Publix, a kid will see me and be like, mommy, he's a giant. Or a kid will see me and strangers' children will just try to climb me. I don't know what it is. But Jesus has this thing about children, protecting children, not leading children into sin. And he says to let us know how serious he is about loving kids and leading them toward him, toward God. He says, if you lead them away from God, you just go, go jump out of a boat with a rock. Now, for, for today, you can define sin in many, many, many ways. But I want to try to de-church that word because when I say the word sin, we're all thinking of something. So for today, when you hear sin, I want you to think of, of this definition. Sin is anything that moves you away from God, that breaks your relationship with God, that causes the things of hell to come into your life. That is what sin is. Sin is when you say, instead of looking at Jesus, I'm going to look at this thing, this object, this person, this action. And Jesus says, if you get one of these little ones to, who believe in me to sin, to look away, it's bad for you. And, and Jesus wants us to understand how bad this idea of sin is. So he goes on and talks to us. And if your hand causes you to sin, everyone lift up a hand. If your hand causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. This is not a sermon you're going to hear on CBN. TBN, whatever BN it is. The guys with the diamond cufflinks talking about Jesus. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life with a life crippled than two hands and go to hell, then with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Hell is an unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, what do you do? Tear it out. This is not like the PG service at all. Tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Hell, where worm does not die and fire is not quenched. Now, I need to say right off the bat, Jesus is speaking figuratively. He's trying to teach us that sin is serious, that things that distract you and pull you away from God, they are very serious. They are life and death serious. But do not go home. I don't, next week, I don't want you guys to come in here. And I don't want to see one-handed Harry, okay? I don't want to see blind Bob. Jesus does not mean that. There's no amount of harm that you can do to yourself that saves you. Only Jesus can save you. His point is that sin is this serious. Understanding the perspective of eternity with God will change how you view sin. Because Jesus said, it's better to have this eternity with God than this type of hell. God with one hand is better than hell with two. God with one foot, better than hell with two feet. But we all have perspectives, right? We know, we know that people view things differently. Because if I say this, you, some of you can finish the sentence. The glass is half full. I don't know why this is. I have a theory. Every time I do it, first service the same. All the full people are like, they, you guys talk. The glass is half full. Like you've got life in you. The empty people, because there's some of you in here, glasses half empty people. You know who you are. You're a bottle of sadness, right? That's why I think you don't say it. It's only the full people. What is the glass? Half full. All the empty people just get sad like it's empty. Dang it. So that's why you don't talk. You're just sad. Perspective makes a huge difference. And we have something in our culture we call first world problems, right? 
Can someone give me a first world problem? Your AC not working because your Wi-Fi isn't connected. That is the supreme first world problem. Like, sweetie, I can't get on Netflix and the AC's off. What's our Wi-Fi doing? You guys have Wi-Fi connected to your air conditioning? Man, your home needed Jesus. Okay. Okay. Do you remember, the, you, those of you who, if you look at me and you think, I'm either your age or a little bit older. Do you remember payphones? Oh, my goodness. Like a payphone, when I see one now, I literally take a picture of it on my camera phone. I'm like, ooh, a payphone. Let me get out my portable phone and take a picture of a payphone to show my children. It's remarkable. It's remarkable the things that become first world problems. When your AC goes out, which in Florida, let's be real, like that's maybe a second or third world problem. Like in Florida, if your AC goes out, that's a life-threatening disease. Okay, uh, mold just sets in instantly, asthma flares up, one of your children dies on the floor, ice cream, you know, um, not that my AC has ever done that. But when you lose, when you lose something, it's a first world problem. Some of us just go crazy. Like when my internet goes out, I go on my phone that has perma internet. I don't even know where it comes from. Like some genie in the sky just shoots internet into my pocket, giving me future thigh cancer. I can pull that out and I have internet. And I say, why is Frontier down? So with my backup perma genie internet, I Google why my home internet's not working. When your ice maker breaks, it's a first world problem. But some of these things feel like the end of the world. I've seen some of you when your AC breaks on Facebook. Need emergency air conditioning repair person immediately. And we all do the same thing when your AC breaks. You just post pictures of yourself like, I'm so hot, my AC's out. It's funny, though, because first world problems, you don't have as much sympathy for other people. I remember, like, when the hurricane knocked a bunch of people's power out, you know, and they are posting, like, still don't have power. And I'm over at my house with my ice maker and AC just going. I'm like, bummer for you. That was not a good pastoral move for me, but felt good on the inside. I would say, you people can come over and shower, but we say that knowing that most people are not going to take you up on that offer, Right? Come over to my house, which you've never been, and shower if in my bathroom. Like, no one's going to take you up on that because we're first world people. First world problems is really a perspective because there are actual problems in the world. You know, you, you, stop, you stop whining about your ice maker breaking when you go somewhere and you see what kids are drinking. You know, I, I have plumbing problems in my houses throughout the years. That changes a lot when you go to India and you see that there's a literal pot, like a flower-looking pot, that a whole little tribe uses. It's crazy. First world perspective changes things. And now we all can't have that perspective, but what we can do is think about this perspective today. Jesus is trying to tell us something about how bad hell is and how good heaven is. Now, we, d- we go to heaven fully capable, fully saved, fully resurrected in our bodies, but he wants to let us know that, look, this, it's so good that one hand heaven is better. One eye heaven is better than two eye hell. And, and it's, these are church words. These are church words. I know they are. Hell is something that we've all experienced a little bit of in this life. Heaven are the things that are beautiful, that are full of love and grace and truth and kindness. We know that heaven are the moments where we, we feel like I want this to last forever moments. 
It's a little taste, though. It's not the full picture, but it's why we pray, why Jesus said to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, because heaven is not a destination where we go when we die. It's something that we get to experience now. And likewise, hell is something we experience now. It's the times of brokenness, disease, loss, death, anger, rage. All of those things are little, little samples, little samples of hell. And we've all experienced both to some degree or another. But your perspective changes everything. You and I have eternity, eternity, forever. You started when, when your parents gave birth to you or, or when your parents con- conceived you when you were made in the, the, the little moment there, the very Manilow and sync moment, depending on your generation. You were made, bow, you're a little tiny DNA, and you just start to grow. Some of you grow up into pretty decent human beings. Some of you grow up into people who spoil Avengers for others. Now, your perspective on time matters. Because if your perspective is, this life is all there is, it's going to change the way you treat others. It's going to change the way you you treat and think of yourself. It's going to change the way you engage with your community. It's going to change the way you raise your children. But if your perspective is eternity, that will change everything. If you're raising a child, for example, to be the best, healthiest, most well-adjusted 18-year-old, that will look one way, right? What do we want to do? What do we want our 18-year-olds to be able to do? When they're 18, what are some of the basics we want? Cook, get a job, pay your bills, get out. Is your daughter here? No, she's working. Get, get out, so you can say that. Drive a car, do laundry. Like by then, you should know how to wash your belly button, right? Like these are basics. But if you ask a different question, what would it look like for me to raise a healthy, not 18-year-old, but 1,800-year-old? What type of things do I want to pour into my child so that when they're 1,800 years old, they say, thanks, Dad. I really appreciated the way you gave me this perspective. This perspective that it's not just about what I can do when I'm 18 because those things are very basic. Like if we're being honest, it's very easy to teach a kid these things. Now, it's not always easy to get them to listen, but it's easy to communicate. This is what it takes. Fold, 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 put it away. Here's how the dishes work. But if you have an eternal perspective, it really changes the way you want to raise your kids. What type of thing makes a better 1,800-year-old? Someone who's full of faith in Christ, who loves the the poor and the widows and the orphans well. How about this? Your spouse. Single people just listen for fun. Just for fun. If if you have a spouse or relationship, um, it changes. If you have an eternal mindset, not to a mindset that says, how can I get this person to keep me happy for 40 years, but how can I make this person the most well-adjusted, rad 400-year-old? That changes how you treat your spouse, right? We've talked about this. Uh, l- let me do some examples. Um, I need something. You guys need to help me. What are things that spouses like get in arguments about? Their children? You're not a spouse. You don't get to talk right now. No talking for you. Money. Money. I've never heard of a married couple argue about money, ever. Ever. Okay. What happens with money arguments? One spouse, let's just say there's a spouse that likes spending on frivolous things. Let's say there's a spouse in a relationship that has an addiction to Amazon. Amy, I'm so sorry. Can we do one that's less personal, Miss Linda? My Amazon addiction is a real problem. I'll stop buying things that are useless. Money. Spouses argue about money. What else do spouses argue about? What? So there's so many, there's so many husbands who are in here and all their just poof, 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 poof. like the wife's like, if you do, you die. 
right? Maybe not. Spouse, no arguments? So you guys have perfect marriages here, chores, okay? Like, what type of chores are you talking about? Like, like my wife and I had the conversation that, like, what towels ought to be used for. Like, we have bath towels and oil change towels. They should be the same thing. I don't understand why they're not. Don't judge us so you've tried it. 10W30 is great for the skin. But are you talking about, like, which, who does which chores? How, how many of you who are married or in a relationship know how to make your person extremely angry? We call it the button. You guys got the button? Okay. Uh, I need to find out who's the, who's, who's the newliest married people in here. Who's the newliest married people in here? What do we got? Newlyweds? No, he's like, I'm a professional. Um, so if you've been married for, when you, on your wedding day, you get this gift. And we've joked about it before. It's called the button, right? The button. It's the button you press to make your significant other go nuclear. At your five-year anniversary, you get the mini keyboard. You get like ten buttons. You know them all. You have a button for bedtime, a button for morning time, a button for midday, a button for lunch, a button for dinner, a button for date night. Now, I don't know how cool this gets, but I have this theory that once you've been married, like my in-laws have been married for 50 years, they get the grand organ of buttons. You don't just have like 10 buttons, one button. You've got like foot pedals, and you know how to just jack them up. Now, one of two things can happen. You can play a masterpiece on their nervous system. Or you can build the most beautiful type of love because you have every button in the world and you tell your spouse, but I choose to not use them. Now, that's a, that's a different, that's a, I'm going to build you and me. We're going to build this thing so we're the best 400-year-old. Because 40 years, that's, that's a very short time. And I, and I get it. Like next week, the passage that comes right after this is on divorce. And I know as you guys, oh, yeah, I've heard, this, I've heard the sermon on divorce. Probably not the one that God has already put in my heart for next week. Because there are so many of us, I believe, in our culture that are functionally divorced. You're married on paper, but, you're, but your marriage, your union to your spouse is anything but God-centered, love-saturated. I was talking with someone at this, um, this quinceanera yesterday, and it was so fascinating to me. To, we were, I was like, okay, this is my sermon next week. Like, I've got it in my head. I'm, I'm super into this sermon. I can't wait for it. And he goes, you're going to talk about the, the two S's. I was like, the two S's of marriage, what are they? Like, if you give me some letter thing, as a pastor, I'm addicted. All right, I got to know. And he goes, the two S's of marriage. It's a sacrifice and submission. Men sacrifice, women submit. I was like, yeah. Women submit, amen, girls? That was the same response for a service. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Not a single amen. I said, actually, there's three S's. Next week, the three points of the Baptist sermon are going to be sacrifice, submit, and sex each other up when you're married, teenagers. Okay? Because it's important. And it changes when you have a perspective of forever marriage, when your end game of marriage is not collecting seashells by the seashore, when your end game of marriage is, man, I want to sit with you 400 years from now, and we're going we're gonna to recall the times where you pointed me toward Jesus, where you inspired me to keep going even though I wanted to quit, where you pressed me into doing something that was hard for me to do, but it was to, to, to serve the homeless, to love the widows, and to love the orphans. Those are the things that are going to change your marriage for 400 years. Now, the dish thing, it still gets me loading the dishwasher. I couldn't tell you the number of times I've reloaded a dishwasher. My, I couldn't tell you the number of times I was supposed to do something, and I haven't done it. My dishwasher's been leaking for a solid, like, three and a half weeks. I have a warranty, but instead of making one phone call, we just put a bowl under it every night. First world problems. When I, when I was a child, we had a dishwasher, and its name was Ryan Tyrona, Okay. 
Perspective changes everything. Because do the dishes matter? Does blowing up uh, over something matter when I'm trying to build something greater than just a 40-year experience? Now, if we treat people like human beings, we don't treat them like property, we don't treat them like a possession, that perspective changes how we will treat them. And here's the thing with sin. Jesus said sin is, gonna, sin is what pulls you away from God. Non-sin moves you toward God, glorify God. Things that are good are, are part of God's kingdom. Things that draw you away from God are, are hell, little pieces of hell. And we're all addicted to it. We're all addicted to it. That's why Jesus is telling us how serious it is because he knows that as humans, we, we sin with our hands, we sin with our eyes, we sin with where our feet take us. So Jesus wanted to let us know, like, here's, here's how bad it is. Like, these things that take you to sin, chop them up. Not worth it. It's not even worth it. I love samples so much, you guys. Um, any Costco people here? Do they have samples at Sam's Club? Yeah, okay. It's probably the same. I don't know how the rules work at Sam's Club, but I've got Costco down. I've been Costcoing since before, since it was Price Club, okay? Uh, I'm an old school Costco guy. They have these samples. If you're not familiar, you go into Costco where they have oversized meats and, and 50 pound buckets of mayonnaise, uh, toilet paper for half a year, unless you've got five kids and it's like half a week. You go into this Costco, they got these sample stations everywhere. I've got them all mapped out. I know where the cheese sample, the popsicle sample, I know where the microwave pizza tostini sample, the cracker sample, the bread sample. I know where they sample out QCO10, some vitamin, but it's in a juice, so I'll take it. Now, here's the thing about samples. I will go and get full on sample. And there's, there's different types of sample people. There's a type of sample people who think there are rules, and they're the type of sample people like me who don't care about the rules. Here's what it is. And this is how... Some of us sin. We sin differently. You sample hell a little bit differently. Some of you go up like this, and you're like, I just want to try a little bit of this. And you walk away, and something was so good for you. And I, you see these people at Costco. They're not sneaky, but they try to be. It's like the people in the shows, they put on a mustache and go back and try to get something secret-like. But these people do this. They'll talk to the person. They're all friendly. They'll get that delicious pot sticker with soy sauce. And they'll eat it, and they'll walk away. And you see, ooh, they liked it. You know how they liked it? Because about 10 feet away, they turn around like this. And they'll walk by, and they won't talk the second time because they tasted it. They knew it was good. They want more, but they don't know the rules. So they'll go by the next time, and they'll just be like this and just walk off, like, quick. Now, this is a freebie for you guys. Free advice. You can walk up to a Costco sample person and just start eating. Like, just be like, there's seven tortellinis. I am seven tortellinis hungry. And you just stand there. And I've done this many, many times. They won't say anything, at least not to me. I'll just stand there and smile. I'll say, hey. I'll say, this is good. I'll take the next paper cup and put it in the empty one and do it again. <laughs> Whoa, these are really good. Oh, I love these. And I'll just sit there, and then I'll just walk away. Have a great day. Now, I don't know what the rules are. Maybe those people aren't getting paid enough to threaten me. I don't know what it is. But I've done this. I've had whole popsicles, not just a piece of popsicle. I've had a whole pack of these tortellini, tostini, cracker things, bread, whatever it is. I love it. When they have the sausage ones, I literally go ham, no pun intended. Just all in. Just I want the jalapeno, the tomato, the cheese. And they give them to me, and I'm like, I want the jalapeno, the tomato, and the cheese. They say, sir, you had one. I said, yeah, but I want two. And they'll just give them to you. Now, we all sin different. Some of you are the sneaky sin. I like this a little bit. Let me go back and just get a little bit more. Nom, 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 nom. Some of you... You sin like I Costco. You just stand there and you're like, I don't care. I'm having a good day. And you just start packing those tortellinis down. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Um, I've never walked away from a sample meal 
like when you just get all of Costco in your belly. I've never walked away being like, whew, that was the best meal of my life. Because when you walk away from a, a Costco sample meal, you like have like a coconut macaroon next to like a pizza bagel, next to like salmon and cream cheese, next to broccoli cheddar soup. Like you walk away feeling disgusting every time. I don't know how many times I have to do this before I realize this is dumb and there's not enough Tums in the world to solve whatever's going on, okay? But it happens. But then I go back again, and there they are with their bright, smiling faces, dishing out free food. And I go for it again. Give me that coconut macaroon, CoQ10, chocolate cover, whatever, cream cheese, salmon, whatever, something in there, boom, stomach ache. You think, Ryan, don't be dumb. Just stop doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, let's not be dumb. Let's stop going back to the things that we know are jacking our lives up. Let's stop going back to those things. And, and don't just say, I'm going to stop today. I'm going to quit finally. I'm going to get rid of this addiction. You have to put it in perspective. This is what it's doing to me. It's bringing hell into my life. I need to have an eternal perspective. Forever matters more. Forever is increasingly mattering more the older you get. How can you shape your mind to ask yourself, who am I making myself 100 years from now, 200 years from now? Because here's the thing about hell. I, I wanted to believe hell wasn't real. I wanted to believe it wasn't real because it sounds terrifying. And I did not grow up in the church. So I, I knew about hell from cartoons. And I thought that place sounds terrible. Why would a loving God just send people there arbitrarily? And then you read in the Bible these verses that, that have this tension, like that God is in control of everything, but that God also wishes that none should perish. And there's this weird, this weird scale of human responsibility and God's complete sovereign control over all things. And here's what I've come to learn about hell. It's that people choose it over and over and over and over again. People choose a little sample of hell and they choose it again. And they choose it again. And sometimes we choose it so much we, we forget what it tastes like to not have the taste of hell in our mouths. By hell, I mean any sin, anything that pulls you from God, that turns your gaze from Jesus to something else, that turns your mind from Christ and the things that are good and pure and right and true, and it turns them to something else, things that are broken, defiled, angry, hate-filled. This is what sin is. And sometimes we just take a little sample. You're like, ah, oh, I like the way that revenge tasted. You taste that when you're in middle school. Taste it again when you're in college. And all of a sudden... You're an adult, and you can execute revenge like the greatest of them. Some of you have a temper. You, you tasted a little bit of temper when you were in school. You realized that if you, if you got angry at people, that they would submit to you, and you kept tasting that little sample of hell. And now you're married, and you don't know why you can't get your temper under control. When your spouse hits your button, you explode like a nuclear bomb because you've been sampling it your whole life because you don't understand the perspective that, that you're sampling this, and there's a feast of perfection awaiting you. And all that, all that it is, all that you have to do is, is turn from these things to a perspective where Jesus is your everything and your all. I love it. Jesus wants to salt you up. Verse 49 says, don't do these things that lead you to hell instead. Verse 49, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. What is salt? Good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will it be made salty again? Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. Salt is the preservation that God has wired into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. God loves you so much 
He, he has such a love for you. He loves you right where you are. But he also loves you so much he will not leave you where you are. If, if you think that God will love you and just leave you, leave you sitting there feasting on little bites of hell, you are absolutely wrong. That'd be like me watching my kid just start eating rat poison and be like, but I love you. Keep sucking it down, little guy. I wouldn't do that because I love him. Smack it out of his hands. Stop it. Get up. We're going this way. Poison control. God will not let you say where you are. He wants to salt you. Now, there's this, this term. Um, the kids say it, you know, and I had to learn about it because I've been playing this game with my kids that I keep talking about. That's how I know I'm addicted to it. But there's this phrase called salty. You guys know what salty means? I don't use it because I'm a grown man, okay? I have car insurance that I pay for myself. Can you explain what salty means? like mad, like petty, like if someone's salty, they're kind of being mean a little bit, or they could be like grumpy. So here's, I just want to give you a glimpse into my life. So this is, um, this is a game called Fortnite. This dance up here is called Take the L. So when you're playing Fortnite, you're a grown man, and I play with a bunch of other guys, like we've met randomly online, like I play with a lawyer who's in downtown Tampa and owns his own practice with 30 lawyers under him. Me and this old guy, we're just jamming on Fortnite together, and what happens inevitably is we run into some virtual eight-year-old, okay? And they shoot you, bop, 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 bop. Just literally, I, I've got a master's degree in theology. He's got his juris doctor. We could sue this guy and send him to hell, this kid. <laughs> but he'll shoot you, bop, bop, bop. And then they do this dance on you. Some of these kids, it's called being salty. It's to take the L. They, it goes like this, and they dance over, and it goes, ha, 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 ha. And literally, I'm a, 30, I'm a grown man, you guys. I will, like, push myself back from my desk. Like, this little kid. And now I've learned that word. I'm like, he's so salty. I'm like, did I use it right? I don't know. <laughs> and we're just grumping about these little eight-year-old kids. Now, this is, not, this is not the type of saltiness. Like, the salt we're talking about is good salt. Like, you need to be a salty person. And salt means you have the flavor and the preservation of Christ around you. And it's taken right out of Leviticus. It said, do not offer your grain offerings without salt, but always have salt in your grain offerings. This is right out of the Old Testament. An offering to God should be seasoned and flavored, just like a good steak in America, okay? So this is our thing at the chapel. You need more salt, you guys. This is my favorite chef in America. And I'm telling you, what you need is more salt. And by that, I mean, stop eating the things that you know are bringing you hell. And start eating the things that you know give life, give joy. Start giving back. Start going out and serving. Start having an, a perspective that matters. I've got one more for you because I thought this was appropriate as we are a church gathering. I'm not sure what this means either. It means something. It means something to someone. So just a caveat. I think that lit can have something to do with drugs, but generally it just means like, that's really cool, man. Like, this concert is so lit. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> anyway, that's how I realize I'm getting old because I hear children talk, and it's like they're talking in German. I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying. I don't know your algorithms, your LOLs, your LMGs, whatever all these things mean. Just type, okay? Just talk. But, you guys, as the Lord saith, be salt and light, not salty and lit. Okay, that's good. I'll leave that up for you. I know you want to post that. Hashtag my pastor's better than yours. Okay. Um, <laughs> here's the thing about perspective. You're going to be inclined to be preserved by God, to be connected to God, the more you look at the perspective of eternity. Jesus doesn't use hell as a way to scare sinful people into heaven. He uses hell as a tool to talk to believers 
and how to motivate them into righteousness. He doesn't, I, I, I do this so often, and I'm hoping that one day the Lord just sends me a curveball, but he hasn't yet. In, in dozens of churches and in thousands of people that I've spoken to, I've never met the person that came to know Jesus because somebody was screaming at him on a street corner saying, you are a sinner, you're going to burn, baby, burn, you little sin maggot. I never met someone that's like, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. Someone called me a dirty sin maggot, and they had a fire with a hell you're going there sign. And the love of God melted my heart. I've never met it. Never met that person ever. Jesus used hell not to try to scare people into a relationship with God. Heaven, the kingdom of God, it's not a place for people who are scared of hell. It's a place for people who love Jesus. And that's how Jesus uses it himself. He's talking to believers, saying, I want to show you guys this is how good heaven is and how bad hell is. But he's not out there telling people, you're going to burn unless you turn. That wasn't his M.O. the majority of the time. He was primarily talking to believers or religious people when he talked about hell, and he talked about it a lot. I need us to understand perspective. Perspective is what changes this game. Perspective is why I read my Bible and journal in cemeteries, because it gives me perspective. Perspective is what happens when you experience deep and great loss. Uh, a few weeks ago, a man called me out of the blue. Out of the blue, he called me. I didn't know him from anybody. And he said, he said, I, uh, I have a neighbor who goes to the chapel, Miss Lori. He said, I have a neighbor, and, um, and you know, I got injured at work, and he told me some things that were going on and some things he had been struggling with for, for years and years and years and years. And he said, he said, you know, and I, I, it's time for me to turn my life around. And those of you who know me know my response to that is usually a very gentle, like, man, we can't turn our own lives around. Jesus can turn it around for us. Let's put our faith and trust in him. And this man gave uh, his life over. He said, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow God. I want my life to turn around from where it was. And there was something weird. Every once in a while, um, certain, you know certain people just imprint on you a little bit more? This guy just imprinted on me. Didn't know why. Just, I was talking to him on the phone. He was at the hospital in Tampa General about three and a half weeks ago. And we just imprinted. And I was like, man, you've got to come visit the chapel. I'd love to meet you face to face because I, I had like this heart kindred thing going on. Didn't know anything about him, just that he was sick, had been injured, and he had been struggling with something for many, many, many years that he had shared with me. And then he came one Sunday. It's three Sundays ago that he came. Three Sundays. He came out here, second service, and he's uh, just like a super sweet guy. He, he's, he met so many people. And one day, in one day, he was like greeting the greeters. He was hanging out with Damon at the back table, and they were John and laughing about something. He, he left. He was one of the last people to leave that, last, that Sunday. Um, his, name, his name is Addis. And then, um, and then this past week, this past week I got a call um, letting me know that Addis was back in the hospital. And I was like, oh, I got to go see Addis, you know. I, I, I got to go see him. I want to go visit. And, um, and then the next day that I was planning on seeing Addis, I got a text message saying that he had passed away. And I thought, Lord, that was so fast. This, this guy imprinted on me. Uh, I had been praying for him daily, been praying for his wife and his daughter. It was a difficult season. I'm going to Tarantino you because months and months and months ago, probably about six, seven months ago, Miss Lori went out to start her blessing bag ministry. It's the ministry that you guys need to go get Publix gift cards for. Like we need like $1,000. Is 1000 enough? $2,000. 
When you, when you go to buy that gift card and they say, how much? Say $1 billion, okay? That's what we need for that. I don't care if the chapel keeps our lights on. If we could feed people who, who need and are hurting, then that's good. Because months and months and months ago, the first time the Lord was going to start the blessing bags, she ran into an old neighbor, and, and he said, what are you doing? And the Lord said, we're doing this new thing that I'm starting at my chapel. And he said, I, wanna, I want you to fill up that cart, and I'm going to pay for it. Guess what that guy's name was? It was Addis. That was before Addis had recognized and, and come to the bottom where he needed to turn to God. There is a capacity in humans to, to have salt. It's, it's God's common grace is a theological phrase. Or we, we all have a general grace and gifts from God. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now Addis, by God's grace, in, a, in the moment where he needed it most, began looking toward God. He said, the things that I've been sampling have been tearing my life apart. And I don't know whether he knew the, the brevity of what was to come or not, but it, something changed in him. And it's often I found that way. When you realize life is shorter than you thought it was, when your perspective changes, your views about God and who you are change. I would hope that you would do it all today, that you wouldn't wait that you wouldn't continue to say, well, you know, I like the God thing, but I just want this sample, this little piece of hell that I know won't last and I'll have to go back to it again. My prayer for you today is that finally we would be able to step back and say, you know what matters? Like doing the simple things, believing and trusting in God and on that mission, keeping it simple. Like I want us to be a church that fosters kids who are taken from their families. I want us to be a church where, where all we need to do is remind us that the blessing bag funds are low and then they're just filled up for a month and that you guys are taking those bags and going out and blessing people who are going through a hard time, who are having a financial struggle, who have just found out they had some disease or some cancer or broke their Achilles or whatever it is, that you would go out and just love them. That we would be a church that cares for the widows and the poor and the orphans just a very simple church, and this is what it means to be the salt, to bring the principles of God, to bring the small tastes of heaven instead of to bring in the small tastes of hell. The way to do that is a perspective change. First, on who God is and who you are. If you're here and you're like, well, I don't even follow this God guy. I, I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm willing to bet that you're probably better than some and worse than others. In the spiritual game, when I ask people who don't yet believe in Jesus or aren't, aren't you know, religious people, they're spiritual but not religious, I'll say, hey, are you going to heaven? And they'll say something like, yeah, and I'll say, why? And they'll say, I'm pretty good. Now, the, the scary part about that is that you're, we're always comparing ourselves to the lowest common denominator. Nobody's comparing themselves to someone that's above them, right? Like, I don't know where you're at, but, like, generally, no one's going to be like, even in the worldly standard, Yes, let me compare myself to like a pastor, not me, but like other real ones like that are good and, and righteous people. I'm only righteous because of Jesus. Other than that, I'm a wreck. Priests, like super guys, like monks, like with the, if you have a haircut like a halo, you're, you are holy then. No, you compare yourself to like your jerk neighbor, right? You compare yourself to that neighbor in your neighborhood who calls the HOA on you all the time. Like that person, it's like, it's like Satan, demons, HOA person. I'm venting. This is my own personal therapy, okay? Let's just get out of the way. You compare yourself to the person at your work who's just like the schmaltziest person. They've been using that 
that oil change towel to wash their hair. They're like a used car salesman, but they sell insurance on the side, like that guy or gal. No, no, the comparison is to Christ and Christ alone, and, and you and I fall desperately and radically short. The only way is to have the offering, and not the offering that we make with salt and grains and bulls, the offering of Christ. That's how you get salt on you in the first place. So when God looks at you, he's looking through the lens of Jesus at you, and you're covered in his righteousness. The Bible says in Corinthians that God made him who knew no sin become sin for us so that we would become God's righteousness. Jesus became sin. We became righteousness. Our righteousness is the flavor that people will sample. When they encounter your life through the blessing bags, through prayers, through encouragement, through love, through sacrifice, it is in those moments that that prayer we've been praying, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The plan is for him to bring it through you, the power of Christ in you, as you get those mini blessing bags, as you go get public's gift cards, as you go to the, the retirement communities and spend time with people who are desperate to just have a conversation with someone else, as you pray about fostering people. And if you can't foster people, we've got a whole gaggle of foster people. One of the things I want to do this year at the chapel is everyone that's fostering or fostering to adopt, I want to be able to give them a free date night a month. And the reason why that's so hard is because legally, we have to have licensed people to babysit their people. So that means I need, I need enough people to say, look, I can't foster but I know it's hard. I'm going to go take a class so that I can watch Derek and Levine's kids so they're going to go have a date night so I can watch the Zickos or the Joneses' kids so they can have a date night. Because you guys, if we're not helping those parents guard their marriage and we're just throwing kids into that, that's tough. We're going to keep it simple. Poor, widows, orphans, and needy. Go glean. Go serve, go love, go pray for. Those are things that are sampling heaven, bringing heaven down to earth through the power of Christ in you. That's what it means to be salt. Put away these samples that are wrecking you, the ones that you know are poisoning you, the anger, the lust, the jealousy, the, the bitterness, the pride, the gossip. Put those away. Say, God, I'm done with that. Those are leading me to a path where I don't want to walk any longer. I'm now in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you would give us your word. Lord, I pray for each person here today that, that is, like me, God, we sample at the buffet of hell. Lord, I pray that you would rend our hands from that table with the strength of your spirit. You would resurrect us and aim us toward Christ, change our taste buds, and put us on a mission that doesn't even give us time to go back to that table. And every time we're tempted to go pick up a piece of, Anger, a piece of control, a piece of anxiety, a piece of worry. Every time we go back to that table, God, remind us, give us a perspective of how much better the kingdom of God is. Lord, better is one day in your courts with one hand than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts with one foot than a thousand with two. Make us people who are obsessed, God. That's all that I pray. Lord, we pray for Addis's wife and daughter that you would bring your supernatural comfort during this season, that you would envelop them with people who love them well and care for them deeply. Lord, we thank you for the celebrations in our church family. We thank you for Taya and her quinceanera and her culture transitioning from a girl to a woman. Lord, bl bless her as she makes this transition in her life and, and what it means to be a woman of God who stands on her feet before you with, without her parents standing in the gap. Lord, it's you and her. Lord, we thank you for all the beautiful things 
We ask for your tender mercies and all of the painful things. And today, Lord, fix our eyes on heaven so that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. In Jesus' name, amen.